Right, well, hello and welcome to episode 16 of Strange in the Cinema. Very exciting, this episode, because we're not in Cheltenham today, are we, Pete? We already rehearsed this, Paul, and the opening is Hello Strangers, which is our new opening, right, for the show. Hello well, Strangers. Well, you were very keen to do it, so I thought I'd let you roll with it. Yeah, to be it's, that's so. going to go viral, except that you didn't do it. Um, yes, welcome back. It's only been four, four to five weeks since our last instalment of we this We were going to say apologies for the delay again, but we're not going to apologise for the delay, because to be honest, we do this A for you and B because we enjoy it. Not even so. sorry, to be honest, it's sort of a privilege for you that we've sat down to record another episode. This is like manna from heaven, so enjoy it <laughs> for the next however much time we, we keep it. Uh, anyway, going. Pete's ego aside, we're in Basingstoke today, aren't we, Pete? Ah, uh, yeah, some know it, uh, some call it Blazingstoke. Others amazing. So amazing stoked. <laughs> Basing joke. Yeah, yeah. Basing grad. Anyway, it's my hometown, so I should be a bit nicer about it. We're joined today by the very lovely people from Pork Chop Pictures, Mark Brennan and Carl Austin. Hello. Yes, Hello. welcome <laughs> to the show, you guys. Uh, thank you for welcoming us to your town and uh, Paul's birthplace. I left, so I've kind of given up any privilege to call this my town, so... Yeah, um, we've come to Basingstoke, we should explain, because we wanted to do another interview on the show. Last week's show we had James Weber and Rebecca Van Cleve, and we thought that went really well. I hope you enjoyed that. Numbers for that show have been great. People have you know, tuned in and tuned in, as if that's the thing that people do anymore with podcasts. But people listen people to that. People have clicked in their droves. They've clicked in their droves, man. It was like probably double the number of listeners t- from the, the previous show, so that's amazing. And so yes, thank you from us. Yeah, massively appreciate the, the interest from many and all people who've bothered to give us a listen and then this week to have these guys with us in person kind of brings a, a another dimension I think to uh, our, our burgeoning careers as interviewers. Which, yeah, you know, I'm a little bit terrified to have them on the show in all fairness because uh, much like any filmmakers they probably know a lot more than us about the art that we criticise but we'll... we'll, we'll oh we're going to sound like idiots, but... we're going to sound like idiots and be found out for the next hour but <laughs> never mind that's fine. Um, So yeah, what we're going to do is, as we usually do, first of all, run down a bunch of stuff that we've been watching recently. Um, Films what we have watched and stuff. Yeah, films what we have watched. um, Bigger, smaller films. um, We've got about half a dozen to get through. We're going to hopefully get some input from the guys from Porkchop as well. They've seen a couple of the films that we've seen and then a few other things that maybe are worth talking about. After that, we're going to get to a proper um, back and forth, a little bit of an interview about T for Two, which is their upcoming short film. Really excited about that. We've seen the trailer for the first time today. Day, which was you know great a great experience and it kind of whets the appetite even further for the for the full re- for release coming up and in the last section of the show if we can cobble it together we're going to go for a summer films preview things that are coming out in the next few months they're going to be largely because essentially we've seen a lot of other podcasts and a lot of film magazines do it and thought shit we better do that the best really. ideas so, are borrowed aren't they Paul? yeah <laughs> the best ideas are borrowed so Without further ado then, films that we have watched and stuff, we can't really start the show without, and I would say probably unfortunately, talking about the quite, in fact I would say very disappointing Avengers Age of Ultron. Well yeah, I mean you set that up um, fairly in a fairly negative way I guess, but I always thought coming into this that you'd be the person who'd be positive and I'd be pulling you apart for being you know, a fanboy of comic books and, and the movies that spin out from the I'll have you know books. that today I'm wearing an Alfred Hitchcock t-shirt not a Marvel t-shirt is that a, so is that a kickback against Avengers because you kind of turn your back on yeah, the entirely right intentional yes gone back to serious it films wasn't the only thing t-shirt I had available it was just intentionally a kickback so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so set this up Paul because you're the man to do that and I think the other guys around the table are probably better placed than me um in terms of the, the universe, the Marvel Universe, where are we with Avengers? Um, what do we need to know about the plot, if any, of this thing? Where are we with Avengers? We, the Avengers have kind of disbanded at the end of the first Avengers film. I'm not going to labour too much on the plot points because I think every man and his dog has probably seen all of the films. Hydra's reared its head in the actually quite good Captain America Winter Soldier. George St. Pierre was in that. He's an MMA fighter. I really like that part. We know you like MMA. Yeah. We've heard a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, so Hydra's reared its head. Stuff has happened in the TV shows and Hydra, the big bad Hydra's really had quite a cool sort of conspiratorial plot twist in Winter Soldier. I quite like that element of it. And boom, we are here with Age of Ultron, which opens on an action scene which is quite entertaining, but completely lacks context. The Avengers have reformed to fight Hydra. Kind of, okay, I'll give them that. It kind of, you worked out that's why the Avengers would come back together. My problem with Age of Ultron is that it just has no story whatsoever it goes from set piece to set piece to set piece to set piece 
All the exposition in the film is already been shown in the trailer. There is no further story to it than that. Now, wait, because I know what everyone's going to throw at me, but it's only a bloody Marvel film, but you're not expecting Citizen Kane of narrative. No, I'm not expecting Citizen Kane of narrative, but I was expecting a narrative of some description. Yeah, And, I and mean, it just wasn't there. I mean, the people who would say I was expecting the Citizen Kane of narrative are idiots, aren't they? Because, um, yeah, I was expecting quite a fun action film. I mean, the first Avengers movie, I'm not a big comic book guy, but the first Avengers movie I thought was superior to the glut of comic book adaptations that we've seen recently. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. And so, I, and I go along to all of them. My girlfriend's dead keen on all of these things, so I, I go along to all of them, and I probably would anyway. But it was a cut above. I enjoyed it. I thought Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk was a great casting. I thought he was great in the, the first of these films. In this one, he's good too, but I would basically go along with what you said in, in terms of plot. I mean, as I understand it, um, the Robert Downey Jr. character, the Iron Man character, wants to put a protective shield around the world because there are threats from outside of the world. But in doing that, he accidentally puts a supercomputer next to another supercomputer. They fight and sort of infect each other and then it turns into a man who's got strings on him but not strings on him because he's not controlled by anybody else. And then Take chaos ensues <laughs> for a bit. I mean, you guys, it come in that here. That speech was almost as exciting as the film. Yeah, come in here. I mean, is Paul being unfair? Was there a plot? And what, if anything, stood out as sort of highlights of the Avengers movie? Um, I agree with Paul. Um, I think the... The Avengers films. The first film is brilliant. It sets up all the characters and set pieces. Are great. Agreed. A lot of fun. I thought the first film was fantastic and had a story yeah. and not too much story, but enough enough to carry yeah. it. And the way character arcs and narratives have continued through, like the the third Iron Man film and the next Captain America film, has all been great. But there seems to have just hit a roadblock in Age of Ultron. Um, to me, this film felt like when you're watching the great TV show but it has an overarching story and you want to know what happens next week and then that next week episode comes and it's just a filler that has nothing to do with the overarching story and you're really hacked off because you want to know what's happened. This film feels like that for me. There's no forward motion in Age of Ultron at all. Like Paul says, it's set piece, set piece, set piece. And I can't really give away anything, can I? We shouldn't say any spoilers or anything. But basically at the end, what is what does have context to the overarching story is pretty much exactly what happened at the end of the first Avengers. So the big story hasn't really moved on at all. Um, mm. I wouldn't say any of the individual characters, the Avengers themselves, have really moved on at all either. It's just... But I think it will get away with it because people just like being in the MCU, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They just like being there. They do it so well. Joss Whedon does a great job of all of it that I think a lot of people will forgive it for not the going anywhere. But it doesn't go anywhere. It, it really. did, I, I, I agree as well. I don't... I didn't... I walked out of the cinema thinking... That was just all right. When I went in thinking it was going to be great, it was going to yeah. be awesome. Like, and I felt that with the first, and I felt that with most of the Marvel films. I don't think there's been one I've walked out and thought, "Oh, that was absolute, absolute rubbish." This one, I walked out feeling, you know, the hope around that was not, you know, what it led itself to be. You know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff missing from the film as well. Like uh, Iron Man, um, at the end of Iron Man three. He gets rid of all his suits, and now all of a sudden he's gone. Yeah, there's no reference made to that and at all. That, and, and also, the, like you said, the, the beginning, it just starts with that. It just starts with that. And also, I thought Ultron as a villain was hugely disappointing. He, he was painted in the trailer to be this like uber-menacing character, and I thought, oh my God, this is going to be the Marvel villain. And then he just turns into... I don't know what he turned into. It's but sort of it like evil Tony Stark. Yeah. But let's not, let's not be naive. Like That opening sequence comes from one place, right? We know where that comes from. It's because the film is going to be screened and has been screened around the country in 3D, in mm. IMAX, and in IMAX 3D. And that sequence is designed to exploit what you can get out of a 3D... Well, yeah. daylight, um, daylight action scenes scene. are often now filmed because they work better in yeah. 3D. And I mean, I, I, full disclosure, I watched this in 2D because I'm cheap and I didn't want to pay the... Uh, the you know, the bump on ticket price to go to a 3D movie. Although, it, yeah, a friend of mine saw it and said, you know, you've got to go in 3D, it's incredible, it adds something. But I could see watching that sequence exactly why they put that first because it's got all these angles and shots that are chosen to really, you know, look great in, in that format. I thought that whole sequence looked really cartoony as well. I, right. I thought it, looked, it really I wasn't a huge fan of the opening sequence. I think the biggest frustration with it was, because uh, I watched, I went to an all-nighter, I watched it back-to-back -back with the first Avengers film and Winter Soldier. And I really liked both of those films, and Winter Soldier especially, I thought, had a strong story. Not in a strong story in terms of arthouse cinema, but for a blockbuster, had a very strong story. And then kind of, so, the, so I was even more excited about Age of Ultron, but, and then just ended up just going, oh. 
Like, what was that? You compare it to Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, when it just doesn't hold a candle to it. Well, that's and that's an interesting point, Paul, because you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy, and the fingerprints of that film are all over this one, I think, in the sense that they've tried to add that kind of... Um, freewheeling kind of those comedy moments that you had in Guardians of the Galaxy that really took it um, or set it apart I think from a lot of the comic book adaptations of late which have been in my opinion and I don't know because I'm not a full convert but seem a bit um, they take themselves a bit seriously if they're not a bit too cartoony they go one way or the other you know and in the sense of um, Guardians of the Galaxy it was a throwabout knockabout funny film with great one line. as was the first Avengers and also I didn't I don't know what you guys thought on this I thought that the humour that worked in the first Avengers film fell a bit flat in Age of Ultron. I don't think I don't think the the banter was there. It was the only thing I liked in it. Okay. The, 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 there's so much in it that just didn't work. That that was the only thing that sort of kept me watching. Now there is rumour that I've read this week of a director's cut oh, that's around about hour, three hours yeah. long. Now I have a feeling that a director's cut, if it is three hours long, that will be about forty minutes longer. That might fix the film's problems. That might explain to be why fair, it's if, stuck, if there know, is a forty-minute longer cut out there that does build a story, that might fix some of the film's issues. Any thoughts on that one? The, well, the three-hour cut is probably an episode of Agents of Shield. Yeah. Tacked on the beginning yeah. Yeah. because I just watched watching Agents of Shield. They set they set up that opening sequence right in in the in one of the episodes I've just watched recently. No, I haven't seen so it seems like two. almost a deliberate tie-in. Yeah, to, to and I haven't seen season two. Yet, I, kind of, so. I watched okay. them. I watched them around the wrong way. I watched obviously Avengers first. And yeah, then they, and then you went, oh, this makes a bit more sense. It now. does. But they can't do. They can't. And that's wrong. That way. That's, yeah. that's completely. Well, wrong. I think they planned it that way. That's how it was released. The, the the episode you're talking about came after the release of the Avengers. So I think people are meant to go, oh, that's clever. They've tied that into. But it shouldn't be like that. You should. It should be still a self. The film should be able to exist in its own right. And I agree with what you were saying. It just it doesn't feel like it takes a story anywhere it feels like a random monster of the week episode in the middle of an overarching story which is why it was so much more important in this second Avengers film that it had a really strong villain because what carries the first film forward is us discovering all these Avengers working together for the first time all the bands mm-hmm. all the humour everything that brings them together is, is all forward motion we're all learning about what's happening with these people in the second film, we know them. We're, we're waiting for that banter that we love. We want to hear it all. The, the only new addition is whoever the villain's going to be. It needed a strong villain. And Ultron really kind of flatters to deceive. Especially when, Compared being Ultron. an artificial intelligence, all the things you would imagine in, in the networked world that we live in, that an artificial intelligence as nefarious as Ultron could do, mm. doesn't really do any of it yeah, in the film. Compare Ultron, really for example, and I'm going to drift into TV here briefly. Compare Ultron to... D'Onofrio's Kingpin in the Daredevil series does not hold does not hold a candle to him as a villain at all which is what I was going to say to you the time invested in Kingpin in that series you mentioned the 40 minutes that might be in the director's cut I was going to say if that 40 minutes is all about Ultron Ultron, it might give it might save it because it really needed more yeah because he literally all all, if you've seen the trailer and haven't seen the film all you get of the Ultron introduction is what you've seen in the trailer that is it and then he's killing and then he hates the Avengers wants to end the world um, you open one up to everyone, so here's another one. Characters in this one, the, the Avengers, plural. We've got a lot of characters taking up, um, actually, I think, quite a small amount of screen time each because this is always the, the case when you've got to split your screen time between all these stars. Who was good? Who was bad? Who was kind of indifferent in terms of the, the cast that we had, the ensemble in, involved in this thing? Well, the, the obvious one, I think, to start with is Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye because he was so absent in the first Avengers film just this mindless drone who didn't really have too much to, to say or do and he said himself he was a bit disappointed with what he had to do this film almost feels like they're making up for that in this because suddenly he's in it a lot more than he ever was before I think it was the wrong forced. film yeah. it was the wrong film for him to come in more. for me it would have made more sense to have Hawkeye show up in the Captain America sequel because he is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and that film was all about S.H.I.E.L.D. It, it, for me when I watched Captain America I thought where was Hawkeye this was mm. an obvious place to bring him back in yeah but to bring um, Hawkeye back into to Age of Ultron he, he did seem shoehorned it was just like we're just making up for it now because he wasn't in the last one so you see more of him and he is a good character but you're kind of thinking this is all well and good but you know we want to see the other guys you know the, mm. it was so obviously an attempt to make up for that but he, but he is good that's the thing it's, it's kind of not his fault 
And, and the, 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 the interplay, I mean, relatedly, the interplay between Scarlett Johansson's character and Mark Ruffalo's character, the Hulk and uh, Black Widow. That felt, I, well, that felt like it came from nowhere for me. But, but, I, but I, yeah, that may, that, may be, that may be the case, but I thought that that stuff was actually pretty good and I wanted to see more of that. Yeah, me too. Maybe, I um, did. if there was the space to put it in and maybe at the expense of some of the Hawkeye stuff. It did, yeah. I agree with both of you. I thought it, it did feel sort of just pushed... What was, was good, but, but it, didn't, like it. it didn't feel like it made any sense because, especially as, as I said, I came off the back of watching Winter Soldier, and she was flirting with Captain America, and then not, and then suddenly, oh, she's with she's with Bruce, Bruce Banner now. What's going on? It's a difficult choice to make, Mark Ruffalo or, or Chris Evans, but you know, are you, are you calling her a lady of easy virtue? Well, apparently, Jeremy Renner did call her a lady of easy <laughs> yeah. virtue in an interview and got in trouble for it. Okay. He actually used the words, the character is a slut, and apparently <laughs> the press went mental when he got a bollocking from his publicist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't talk that way. I, well, one thing I don't, no one really has really talked about, that, that subplot that Thor goes on with, uh, you know... Um, uh, what, you, so mean the, you mean the preamble for Thor 3? Is that what it is? I, well, it must be. That's all uh, it can be. Because they didn't really know what it was. was that? Yeah, but you know, like, you've got a character who, it's like Chris Hemsworth, whatever you think of him, we've talked about him on the show before. He's charismatic as Thor. He's one of the more entertaining characters. Oh, he's fully characters. embodied that role, I think. And he's completely point. sidelined in this film. Completely sidelined. Like, where's Thor gone? He like, even goes off to get Stella Star- Skarsgård's, you know, whatever character he plays, and to do something for him. And then they just disappear. And then, then they all of a sudden, they're in a cave doing something. And Yeah. Let, I mean, at, at the point where you're mentioning something that was a bit of a, a bum note in terms of the performances, let's talk about, uh, for a second, Elizabeth Olsen. Because... I mentioned this before we started recording with Paul. Elizabeth Olsen is an actress very dear to my heart because I saw Martha, Marcy May Marlene, a few years ago and absolutely loved it and thought, whatever this actress does next, I'm going to be there first in the line. She's going to have a really, really great career in the next sort of five years. And I've gone from film to film to film, whether it be the old, terrible Spike Lee old boy remake, whether it's uh, Red Lights, which was a turkey, whether it's um, Silent House. First half of Red Lights, I thought it was really good, but then yeah, it, and then it ended fell apart. Yeah, again, a, a good director <laughs> yeah. and, a, and a poor Absolutely film. Absolutely fell apart. And yeah. Elizabeth Olsen in this, to me, for one, can't sustain her dubious Russian accent for more than about half a scene at a time. For two, her character, if you just watch in isolation her character in those scenes where they're battling as a group, looks ridiculous. Because, yeah, there's the CGI flying around her, but she's basically just flailing her arms in the direction of the enemy. It looks really, really silly. I so don't. It's, it's almost like Kate Bush is during the Avengers. And I didn't, I didn't buy her at all. And you know, some, to link to something else we've talked about recently, who would have been perfect in that role and has obviously got other commitments at the moment, is um, Tatiana Maslany, is that her name? The, the girl who's yes. the lead in Orphan Black. Yeah. Her character, who is a sort of um, malevolent Ukrainian or whatever in, in that programme, perfect for this role, absolutely perfect. Elizabeth Olsen, too lightweight. She didn't, didn't, work she didn't feel unhinged. And also the way the, way, the, the, way the twins just switch sides, just yeah, straight they, away. It's like, oh no, we don't like Ultron anymore. We're joining the Avengers. Yeah, we're with you. <laughs> it's crazy. About her accent though, I, don't they make that they've made up a country? Right, it's not a real country. Sarkovia, is yeah, it? Yeah, right. So it's sort of like so Soviet, blockish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think they're probably watching it. That's probably why. Because yeah. we, we can't yeah. do Russian accents. Let's just make up. A oh, country. so it was a Sarkovian accent, the it's accent that flits between American yeah. and Russian. So therefore, exactly. that, maybe that's what it is. Your argument's not a voice. Yeah, no, it's Sarkovian logic. Yeah, I'm very, very basic. So Avengers, then, guys. Ultimately, I think part of the problem was the hype. You you would expect like when the when the Avengers came out it was like boom this is this is the best Marvel film now and when the second one came out you thought okay phase two has been pretty good it's building to it's building to Avengers being the best of them and ultimately it's not it's not an awful film in the by a long shot it's entertaining spectacle but there's nothing else going on with it and I think for me it was just disappointing because you think if phase two is building to this how good is Avengers Age of Ultron going to be and it just wasn't for me is it no, I, I agree yep. completely. It was a disappointment. It was a middle of the road, you know, movie. It's, it's exactly it's exactly a popcorn movie. If you'll bear with me for a second, because if you buy popcorn for the cinema and you start eating the, you know, when you start eating popcorn like in the trailers and it's great and it tastes amazing, and then you get about halfway through the film and you keep eating it because it's still good, and you get to the end and it basically tastes like cardboard. And you're completely <laughs> bored of it, but you'll probably carry on. Like to me, that's a little bit like this movie, where ultimately it's some. There's a lot that you enjoy in there, but if it's Dicks around for two hours, yeah, you start to see, you know, that it's that it's not entirely satisfying, and that's what I felt coming out of this thing. It wasn't entirely satisfying. Yeah, and I, so I wanted to add one last point. I've read a lot of I've read a lot of reviews of Age of Ultron, and it's sort of been getting four stars, four stars here, four stars there. 
And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying anyone should enjoy it. A lot it. of people take a lot but, of money to write good reviews. You know that too, right? Well, unfortunately, there is that. But but professional film critics How much have talked to <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is... T for two up next. This is, <laughs> this is the movie of the summer. All the performances no, are just, incredible. Just, just going back to what I was saying, professional film critics have written a lot about this film and not one, of, not one review I've read has said... It's not got a storyline. And that's fine if you enjoyed it despite of that, but a professional film critic should at least recognise the film doesn't have a story. Because yeah, it, that, that's the, not a matter of opinion, that's a matter of fact. the scepter and the shield around the world, and yeah, I, I agree with you basically. Yeah. So yeah, Age of Ultron, unfortunately, the, op- the opening salvo of what was supposed to be an amazing summer of, of blockbusters, which we'll probably come back to later in the show, um, for me, misfired and was. It's not a terrible film, but it's certainly not a great Marvel film. But it's okay, man, because we have another opportunity for the summer to be redeemed, and that is in the shape of Fast and Furious. Paul, we've both had a chance to see this. We were extremely excited about it, I, I guess. Um, I would say I was extremely excited about it. There, a guilty pleasure, I think, is often an overused term because it's almost like you're defending something that you like. And I don't always like the term guilty pleasure, but if there was a definition of it, the Fast and Furious films are it. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's fair to say that the franchise has sort of picked up steam as it's gone on, and some of the best stuff has been in the last couple. Is Which that, is, is very enough? rare for a franchise. Yeah, I'd say yeah. from probably five five and six. Five was superb, I thought. Six was, was still decent, very, very funny throughout, and this obviously brings us to seven. Right, so. and, th- and this time we're, we've got James Wan as the director, who obviously we all know and love from um, Saw, and his work on maybe slightly lesser horror franchises, The Conjuring and Sinister and so on um, but here he's turned his arm to action and I think by and large he's done a really good job I mean I think a lot of the shots a lot of the uh, camera movements the kind of kinetic energy to the way this thing is shot is in exactly in keeping with the Fast and Furious franchise and I'm sure there's a lot of people overseeing that and James Bond doesn't have that much creative freedom <laughs> you, you would guess but I think really he's done he's done a good job bar maybe one section but I'll get to that later on but first of all, set up here. I mean, roughly what's happening with the gang at this point? Um, well, it, it picks up pretty much immediately from the end of six where Owen Wilson... Owen Wilson? Owen Wilson's in it. That's brilliant. <laughs> Owen Wilson is not in it. I though. wish he was. No, Owen Wilson is not in it at all. Uh, Luke Evans, who played a character Owen Shaw, hence I got confused with got Owen it. Wilson, is in hospital pending, uh, following the events of, um, of film number six. And uh, Jason Statham, as you've already seen in the trailer, turns up as his brother and isn't very happy with Dominic Toretto and gang and uh, it pretty much jumps in straight from there really with with uh, Jason Statham trying to initially take out The Rock yeah Jason Statham in this film is essentially or Dwayne Johnson as he now wants to be called Jason Statham is essentially like a an indestructible um, kind of super villain I guess in this thing who's like ex SAS trained all the skills in the locker right and then but then one of those skills seems to be the inability to die no matter what happens even when he's in an office building that gets blown to pieces but then that, that's, what, that's what the Fast and Furious films are absolutely about. and they you know they, do they deliver on action well yeah and, and this is the thing that I thought coming out of this is this is basically we talked about Avengers obviously uh, previous to this this is a superhero movie now isn't it Really, yeah, I mean, I, really, without without the Marvel universe, the DC universe, or whatever, but there is a universe here built around these characters who can't die. They're going to do all <laughs> kinds of incredible things, and they may as well have special powers because of you know. In this, I, I've pulled out a couple of things that I liked best and I thought worked best, and one of those undoubtedly is parachuting cars out yeah, of parachuting a, cars is a lot of fun. out of a craft to land on a remote road because that's the only way to get in. That's the only, the only access point to wherever they are. I don't know, Albania or something. It doesn't really Another country. At, at this point, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's an incredible thing. I mean, completely ludicrous. Utterly ludicrous. But pulled off with aplomb in this thing. Yeah, I, I thought, again, it was thoroughly entertaining. My only frustration comes from the fact that Vin Diesel thinks he can act. And all the kind of, we're not friends, I believe in family no, stuff. No, I think the line is... I don't have friends. Uh, hold on, I've done Statham again. You've done Statham again, I, I don't have friends. I got family. Yeah, and if if the rest of... If those scenes weren't taken quite as serious as they were, we could be onto something nigh on the perfect film here because it would have been that funny all the way through. The action scenes are very tongue-in-cheek. All the ham-fisted Vin Diesel's attempt at acting. And at one point, Vin Diesel makes a face that will just have you in tears of laughter and he doesn't even know he's done it. Do you know what that's the only that's always been the weakness is is certain people take this material too seriously. What I found funny though is it's almost like they're playing a game with the script where they need to get certain words in a certain number of times. How many times did they say ghost 
and shadow. How do you catch a ghost? You just gotta put some light on his shadow. Oh, that guy's like a ghost. But you know, if you know what to expect, then then it's fine. And actually, the uh, the there was the the tribute at the end to Paul Walker was actually genuinely quite touching. I didn't I didn't know what they were going to do with it. They are making more Fast and Furious films. However, I thought the touch the, the tribute was genuinely touching, and that took me by surprise. I think. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I completely agree, and I think that this film is not. Let's be honest, it's not the film that you expect to have the most sort of emotional maturity and intelligence when it comes to dealing with difficult subjects. And and I think that one great strength, as much as we can make fun of the dialogue, one real strength of, of Fast and Furious is that it does stick to this idea of like close friendship being like a family. And it is really quite... Um, quite wholesome in that sense that these people, you know, for all the destruction and needless death and billions of dollars worth of damage, they are a tightly knit team who really care about each other mm. and talk about their history together and the bonds that Even they if find some of them. them lose their memory. Right. <laughs> but then when we get to the end section that you flagged up with the, the Paul Walker tribute, it is handled astonishingly well. Yeah. With with a great deal of sort of grace and, and maturity and and yeah, we don't. Want I did. I thought they. Were gonna, I thought they'd kill him off. To be honest, I thought that's how they were going to deal with it. And I was waiting for that to happen. I'm kind of glad they didn't. And it, it really it washed over me in such a way that sitting in the cinema that those last scenes played out. I, you just felt the sort of wave of emotion. I don't know Paul Walker. In fact, I've only seen a small handful of Paul Walker's films, of which, let's be honest, there aren't even that many. No. I mean, apart, aside from the Fast and Furious franchise, which he's been absolutely central to for for many years, it's like fifteen years now, right? Um, he hasn't made that many other films and he definitely hasn't made that many other films of like great repute but he was clearly a very talented charismatic and well-liked. friendly and well-liked yeah. man yeah and i think it yeah it was a really really fitting tribute the way that they did that and it and it sent you off feeling like um the film yeah the film did itself justice in terms of coming out of a really difficult time and producing something that's that's sort of worthwhile and for the man as well as for the, the franchise mm. itself. And even and going back to, to the Avengers briefly, and it still managed to have a better story than Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, and I mean once Fast and Furious eight rolls around, which seems pretty likely I think from, from eight, the nine and ten well eight's been confirmed. Apparently they want to make nine and ten as well. So we'd be intrigued to see where they go. Maybe it will run out of finally run out of steam. But at the moment it's it's good fun if you know yeah. what to expect. Oh and it kind of pales in comparison to the Paul Walker thing but I was going to mention because like, I queued it up earlier on that something I thought wasn't particularly well dealt with was um, Ronda Rousey's involvement in this. It, I didn't think it was great. Yeah, I, I mean, we've seen uh, MMA fighters, Gina Carano in particular, in in the uh, what's that film, Haywire, mm. um, the Soderbergh film, uh, where I think her fight sequence with Michael Fassbender was pretty great. As much as that film was a bit oddly, yeah, I didn't, uneven. Rate, I didn't rate Haywire um, at all. In, yeah, in this, I think, R- and of course, Rousey, she was in she was in Fast Six as well, wasn't she? Yeah, that's right. And Ronda Rousey, I think, is a little bit wasted here. I mean, she's only got one facial expression as an actor, it seems like, which is a kind of awkward snarl. She did that at WrestleMania as well. But hopefully she'll find some better roles. I mean, I don't know. There's uses for her. Maybe it wasn't the best use here. But yeah, it's a small point, really. The Paul Walker tribute is the big takeaway and, and some great... And yeah, well, well worth a watch, thing. I think. Which brings us to... It's probably the, the polar opposite of a film like Fast and Furious 7. Uh, Harmontown. Yeah, yeah. So this one, I can set this one up if you like. Um Harmontown is based around the life of Dan Harmon. Um, Dan Harmon, you may or may not know, is the creator of the hit TV sitcom Community. Well, repeatedly cancelled TV, yeah, but fantastic. That's TV it. You know, community. if you if you roll in circles of people who love Community, of which I, I definitely do, and I think you do too, Paul, yeah. then it seems utterly baffling that this thing has been cancelled so many times because it's phenomenally well written. It's you know consistently hilarious, full of great characters and great performances. But as we find out in Harmontown, creator Dan Harmon has had a rocky road sort of continuing to push out community into the world and involved in his own journey he had a sideline or began a sideline as a podcaster who would do such a thing well it was like, weird enough after, after he got fired from his yeah, own show then, that's right. then created this podcast which he then took on the road yeah and it's a very interesting very interesting study of quite an interesting guy I think. so, so the, the, the thing with his podcast was basically that he would sit in a room with some comedy friends um, stand-ups and people that he knew from the entertainment industry and on a pretty minimal budget he would just invite people along and talk about stuff that they were thinking about there wasn't much structure there wasn't much planning they didn't really write notes beforehand I can't really relate to this because we're so meticulous I mean you can see the pages of notes that are in front of me (laughs) at the moment (laughs) I've got I've got about half a page in a small (laughs) notebook but um, yeah 
and what I thought was the strength of Harmontown, obviously there's a documentary, I mean, I don't think we need to say that, but, but it is. Yeah, um, what I think is the great strength of Harmontown is really its connection with, or his connection initially, with outsiders, people who are marginalised in society, and people who sort of rally around things like the show community, but also, which essentially is about misfits. Or people who sit in dark room recording podcasts about films. Or... Yeah, <laughs> or people who do things like play Dungeons and Dragons. And here in his podcast, we're introduced to this guy, Spencer, who literally went along to one of the recordings and they asked if anybody there was a dungeon master for a game of D&D and he put up his hand and said yes I am they invite he's like a super nerd like the guy's about 6 foot 6 and as nerdy looking as you could imagine <laughs> they invite him to the front he gets involved on that one show and subsequently goes on tour with them as and they what they create on the by game. getting him to do the, the sort of dungeon readings out and when they play Dungeons and Dragons on the stage there's something about the way that this guy Spencer delivers the lines it is Hilarious! Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, he's got a real, real gift for it. And he's clearly socially very awkward. I mean, when they're touring with him and he... I think by his own, admission, by his own admission, he's socially awkward as well. Oh, absolutely. It's not something he's used to doing. So. Absolutely not. And I mean, who would be, you know, taken from... Well, I think he lives with his parents mm. uh, at the beginning of the, the arc of the documentary. And then as they go out on the road, he's confronted with fans who sort of adore him and want to have their photo taken with him and see him as, as some kind of higher status and he finds that really uncomfortable because I think a lot of people would and especially someone with some social anxiety and, and that kind of thing but for Dan Harmon himself in this I think um, fair to say it's pretty emotionally raw and you get quite a lot of access that you might find surprising from someone who's at a level that he is and that, that is that's why I wanted to pick up on it and that's what I really liked about it it was it was honest because he's He's got. It would appear he's got a bit of a reputation for being a bit grumpy to work with and a bit picky. And a lot of creative people, I suppose, probably are in a certain way. And you have interviews with Sarah Silverman saying how that she fired him from her own program, that kind of thing. But what I kind, what I found really refreshing about this documentary is he showed all this stuff, mm. and he was. And there's this one kind of one quite dark scene where he has an argument, almost has an argument with his girlfriend on stage during the podcast. Mm. And she and she's he's kind of he's not he's not shying away from his own weaknesses. And I found it quite emotionally affecting as a result of that, that he was quite happy to put all of him on the screen. Obviously, you know, obviously it is still a documentary. It reminded me a little bit of the um, Nick Cave documentary that we talked about, um, mm. 10,000 Days on Earth. Yeah. A little bit like that. And in fact, it showed all sides of his character. And that, I thought, was really laudable because it could have been, yeah. look at me, I'm so hard done by, I got fired from other the things, Other things, kind of like I mentioned quite a while ago now on the show, Mistaken for Strangers, which mm. is the one about um, the National and particularly the brother of the lead singer who is a fairly socially awkward guy, a bit in the mould of the Spencer character, maybe going out on the road for the first time. But, I mean, at the moment, with people coming to the forefront like Louis C.K. and Mark Maron and so on, I think that's sort of, not that it's a new thing, but sort of confessional... Um, yeah, raw and honest comedy where you give a lot of yourself away to your audience is increasingly resonating with people, mm. I think. And, and there is a connection to be made there with someone like Dan Harmon, who is prepared to say, you know, last night I was awful. And there's the, the part where he gets unbelievably drunk <laughs> whilst recording the podcast. And, and he's pretty disgraceful, but then tries to confront that. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely recommend this thing. I mean, anyone who's watched Community and has a passing interest in sort of the, the process of making well, it's, the episodes... It's, it's well. a must-watch for anyone who's a fan of Community. For anyone else who's kind of interested in screenwriters and interested in documentaries, I'd say it's worth it's worth a go as well. But no, I, I took a lot away from Harmontown. Yeah. So what else have you seen, Paul, recently? I think, well, a fair amount. I think the, the one last one I wanted to talk about that really sticks in my head was an Irish-funded uh, horror film called The Canal. Uh, directed by a guy called Ivan Ivan Kavanagh, and uh, as you're probably aware by now, I watch quite a lot of horror. Anyway, um, it was genuinely one of the one of the scariest films I've seen in quite a long time. Just just a briefly, a, a film archivist um, gets a film from the police from the police to piece to piece back together, and it looks it, it's for all intents and purposes it looks like a murder was committed in the house that he lives in. And to say any more than that would would really spoil it in terms of plot wise, but it's just. Such a very well well put together, well made, atmospheric, tense horror film. Um, again, it's quite nice to see some some British cast members in it. Um, Steve Aram from Sightseers uh, turns up in it as a sort of a menacing detective kind of character. 
And yeah, to, to say any more about that in the story would be, would be to give it away, but it's it's very well acted, um, very tense, and um, uh, oh yeah, highly recommended for, for genre fans. Yeah, we're talking about genre fans, man. My contribution for this week, or this show at least... Oh, it's another horror, isn't it? Yeah. Weirdly it, enough. <laughs> to all intents and purposes, it, I guess it is a horror. It's not your usual um, horror film. This is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It's a film that garnered quite a lot of critical um, positive response I, I guess I would say in you know last year's best of lists and things like that from people in the know or people who'd seen it at festivals way in advance of all of us mere mortals um, <laughs> this is directed by a female director called Anna Lily Amirpour if I'm doing it justice and stars, I don't think that's a bad attempt to be fair ho- hopefully <laughs> not and stars um, a, a really promising actress called Sheila Vand I'll have to look her up I'm not sure what else she's been in but um, yeah, to sum it up, or wrap it up very quickly, this film is all about uh, a kind of spooky presence of a woman who lurks on the streets in what seems to be Iran, although I may be off base with that. Um, I think it's a sort I think of, I've read an Iranian link somewhere. Yeah, I think yeah. at least part of the production is Iranian. And we have, yeah, this this woman who sort of lurks on the street. We don't know a lot about her. She has encounters with um, both criminal and sort of fairly innocent individuals who are going about their business. The first of which is a guy who looks a lot like um, Ninja from The Antbor, who came up recently when you talked about <laughs> Chappie. Yeah. yeah, so um, that, that was funny to see. But what it basically turns into is a, a really sort of... Um, her impressionistic vampire film that has scenes in it shot with such visual flair that you'll find it hard to forget them for a while. Not that it's too easy of a comparison to make in some ways, but not dissimilar to Only Lovers Left mm. Alive, which we obviously both enjoyed a great deal last year, in the sense that if you go into this expecting a kind of um, slasher, blood-flying, hyper-action horror film, you're going to be disappointed because it moves relatively slowly and the horror that there is is sort of artistically uh, pulled off, I guess I would say. I think there's been a movement, the canal is similar to that in a way, I think there is a movement back now to much slower-paced horror, which I think is more over, overall more effective, but... Yeah, I mean, a lot of horror is about atmosphere and feeling, isn't it? And sometimes you just need a bit of space and time yeah. and, and, and sort of some human beings to develop that. Yeah, th- this one took my breath away in stage, at stages of the mm. film. It really did. There are some, just like I mentioned, some fantastic scenes. Does it all work? I'm not sure. I think maybe the pacing is a little off later in the film. But... Yeah, a massive recommendation for anyone interested in what that sounds like it is, which is a sort of slightly left-field horror film. Well, I think it's about time we got back to uh, the guys from Portrait Pictures then, really, isn't it? Yeah. Waited very patiently. Yeah. Okay, so I mentioned earlier we're in Basingstoke with the guys from Portrait Pictures. As much as it was a pleasure chatting to them about Avengers, uh, we we haven't just come here for them to talk about Avengers, although... They've done well, I think. Probably trying to look for our jobs, to be honest, but we're not going to let them have them. Um, just to give some context, I go way back with the guys from with Mark and Carl from Portrait Pictures. We were at college together. We grew up in Basingstoke together. Um, they've gone their way. They've made films. I've decided I wasn't talented enough to make films, so I critique other people's, which is something I knew they were going to throw at me in a minute anyway, so I preempted it. <laughs> um, so, Portrait Pictures. Firstly, you're here to promote your film, T for Two, and also just tell us a bit about... For, before we get into that, just tell us a bit about Portrait Pictures what you do, and that kind of thing. Okay, well, yeah, Portrait Pictures, as Paul said, is myself and Carl. We've been making zero budget, and by zero I mean zero budget, short films for a few years now. Um, We've, uh, using all the resources and friends and people's workplaces and houses and stuff like that, wherever we can film stuff, that's all we've been doing. And talented actors. And talented actors, and and talented cameos as well. Someone who... (laughs) almost convincingly played a dead body once, <laughs> although you can see him breathing and I'm saying he it's Paul who's here on the podcast he, he could not play a dead man didn't you He's cut breathing. my didn't you cut my roll down because I we had to because you're just well. breathing you're just breathing it, it, it's, it's I was tied to a chair you were tied to a chair hours. and you were still moving and you were dead yeah because I needed to move a little bit I even had to kind of cut when your eyes moved Serious. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> so, pork chop pictures. What are you all about? <laughs> well, we made mostly mostly comedies. Um, the last short film that we made was one called Soul Matrix with 
which did quite well. It was a silent comedy. It got shown at various film festivals. Well, biggest of all, it got reviewed on the Strangers in the Cinema. Very nice review, thank you. By, by Pete, I hasten to of add. Of course, because... Yeah, yeah. Lack of bias. I did review <laughs> 8-Ball, admittedly, which <laughs> I really liked. But uh, to, due to a lack of bias, I now hand your films to Pete for review. But so. uh, as far as I understand, Soul Matrix is sort of available to watch online, isn't it? It, it is, yes. Yeah. yeah, so anyone who hasn't seen that, definitely check it out, because it's a, a great piece of work. And yeah, find the review and stuff. And, you know, tell me how, how good the review was and the film. But Portraitpictures.com, yeah. all our films you can find there. And Soul Matrix, as I said, was, was the, the latest of that. What, How that film did really well was because it was silent. It was able to travel to a lot of different countries where we didn't have the language barrier going on. So it's got shown in, uh, um, I think, oh, where was it we got shown? I can't remember now. Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right, we've got an explicit. No, I, when, I, when I submitted this across the internet, we had, we had an explicit, uh, lyrics is the wrong word, but explicit content warning, so it's fine, just knock yourself out. We, we, it won uh, the BF uh, for best... Yeah, best comedy, best editing, best and editing, then it represented yeah. the UK at Unica, which I think was in Slovenia. Unico, BF? Yeah. These, these aren't these the ones are, you've given it yourself, I take No, it. these are kind of, uh, I think BF is, what's that... It's the British it's Institute it's of Amateur Filmmaking. I that's think. it, yeah. And then Unica is the, the the global umbrella for all those um, representative agencies in all the different countries that are a part of it. So it's kind of um, like the World Cup of amateur films, I guess, is what it is. And um, Cell Matrix represented the UK there and did really well. So, so we've kind of learned our craft doing these no-budget film films, basically. I think we, we, we kind of did it, did it for the fun of it, did it for the, uh, you know, just... Because our day job is corporate videos and, 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 and that kind of stuff. So we did this did this as kind of a... You can give a brief plug to Face TV if you okay, want. Okay, we, we, yeah, we work for ta- a, 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 film, a, a production company called Face TV in our day jobs. And uh, Porkchop is our cr- kind of creative outlet uh, from that, basically. Yeah. And um, it's sort of, you know... And we've banged on a bit about the zero-budget nature of what we've done. But what makes T for Two different is that this is the first film we've made that not only has a budget, but a... A rather healthy budget. Well, you've, as you've well, taken so. my next question away from me. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, so T for two. You, you mentioned that you've got a budget. How did how did going from zero budget to getting a budget for T for two come about? Because as I understand it, there's a big jump in the money you've had for T for two. Looking at the cast list, which I'll let you guys talk about in a bit. Um, you've obviously got some money behind this one, otherwise you couldn't have got the people. Yeah, how does that affect the production in, in positive or possibly even negative ways? I mean, how, what has been the difference from the past? Well, I would say it's only been positive. I can't think of a single negative thing that's come out of having some money to play with. No, not at all. I can understand that. No. <laughs> Nothing bad's come well, out. So how, how did the money come about? Uh, it was kind of a bit of a fluke in a way, some of it. you know, We, 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 we intended to uh, have a bit of a budget, but the amount... Which I won't go into, but it was it was kind of we were going to run a, a crowdfunding campaign, and um, we started getting in touch with um, companies that had a relevance to our subject matter. In this case, being in a tea shop, it was like um, tea bags and cakes and things like that. And we contacted various companies in the hope that they might donate some product to us that we could offer as part of a perks um, mm. package. Um, we were lucky enough that one of the companies we contacted, Fiona Cairns, um, took that one step further. After telling me they had no interest in giving us any perks, which made me, th- having chased them for ages, I thought, well, this has been a big waste of time. Thanks very much. They, they could be it. listening, so just be... No, 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 I, I, I love them. I will tell you now how much I love them. So um, they went from, we're not interested into giving you any kind of um, perk product, doesn't interest us at all, which obviously hearing that is kind of, damn, oh well, never mind. We'd actually rather help just give you some money to make it, um, which was, I dropped the phone kind of cried a bit then called them back and said thank you so much and um, from then they, they really got involved um, we still did run a crowdfunding campaign because we could have made T for Two at a certain level with the with the support we had with Fiona Cairns but we, we really wanted to push it up just a bit further so we, we did run an Indiegogo campaign I'm happy to say we hit our target we went just over 102% and, um, with the assistance of a very very fantastic interview by Stranger in the Cinema surely I think was would be would be fair to say. I I think I'd so. Say, I think that smashed our target. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was yeah, where that last two percent came from. <laughs> <laughs> He's interviewed by a very convincing corpse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we were able to to go from making the the zero budget films like we had with 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 Soul Matrix to a film that has a couple of famous faces in, which for us has been well, fantastic. And not just the famous face, but the crew. Tell, as well. yeah, tell, tell us about, tell us about that. I mean, you can gloat on this one for anyone anyone who's unaware. Who who are the 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 well-known or, or 
yeah, famous people in this. The, the 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 famous faces that we have are John Chalice, who was widely known as Boise from Only Fools and Horses, and Amanda Barry, who was uh, Cleopatra in Carry On Cleo, as well as Alma in Coronation Street for a number of years. So to have actors of that experience and caliber on on a, a film that, that we've been doing, not just them but also the crew, is the first time we had ever worked with an entire production crew as well. Was amazing how was like, how did you find the transition from going to zero budget to not only working with a full crew but also working with with established professional actors it's got to be, it's got to be intimidating yeah. well, one of the, what it was to begin with but one of the best things is you're not multi- multitasking anymore well as much um originally you know, no budget stuff you're doing everything yourself you know i'm an editor and i was shooting stuff and, and mark's right well, now right director, but he was kind of producing and running around and making teas and coffees and you know and stuff that when really you should be concentrating on just one thing. This time round, we could do that, and that was absolutely you know gold for us, I think. And also the people we were doing that with. I mean, our producers, exactly, yeah, yeah. April Kelly and Sarah Huxley at Mini Productions have been. Mini Productions seem to have a very good reputation. They've worked, they worked on a number of films that we've that we've um, we've sort of reviewed or interviewed yeah. people on and many productions do seem to have a very good reputation no they're, they're fantastic producers as well as lovely people and they make the whole transition of having no money to having money and how to manage that and how to logistically put the whole thing together well almost did they at some point like wind you in where you're going we've got all this money let's do this let's do this now and did they go well guys hold on a minute no absolutely not they were just as positive and buzzing about the whole project as we were from start to finish and still are you know and yeah they're just great we can't thank them enough in terms of how to operate on a film shoot that has a proper crew and everything personally speaking I have to thank our first AD, who's Josh Nolan, who <laughs> I feel bad for him because he's a very experienced guy who's working with a lot of um, directors and such that know what they're doing and have worked with big crews before. With me, he was having to kind of like whisper in my ear now and again saying, this is what this means. Are you saying that he directed, are you, are you essentially saying that he directed the film and you didn't? He directed me. He directed me and I directed yeah. everybody else. Um, one of my, my uh, best memories of, of the whole shoot, which, I mean, it was all fantastic it was an amazing time one of my best memories of, of, at the very end when we wrapped with um with josh at the end i didn't know this there's traditions when you wrap a film um you say when it's the the, the talent that's being wrapped on their last scenes you say ladies and gentlemen that's a wrap for such and such everybody on the crew applauses and then uh, that's like a nice way to send everybody off when we got to the very end of t for two uh, amanda barry was the the very last person i believe that we that we wrapped and while everyone's clapping Josh leans over to me and he says, it's usually tradition that the director is the one that wraps the whole film. And everyone's clapping. I have to lean back and go, how do I do that? (laughs) (laughs) And then he he leans back and just says, you just say, ladies and gentlemen, that's a picture wrap for TV too. And I go, I just, so I just say that. And he just goes, shout it. And I'm like, okay. So I I shouted it and it was like New Year's Eve at midnight. Everyone was clapping (laughs) and cheering and jumping on each other. And I was was euphoric. It was, it was the the perfect end. What had been an amazing three days. And uh, yeah, I loved every second. So what, what can you, without spoiling the film, what what can you tell us about what to expect from, expect from the film? Obviously it's set a tea shop it is in a tea shop um, I can't tell you too much about plot I know that upsets you you like plot but I can't tell you too much about <laughs> what's coming you'll just have to watch it but it is a comedy like most of our other work has been is there more story than Age of Ultron than it? there is a plot there is, there is we've a plot, squeezed so, yeah. more into our 15 minutes than, than Age of Ultron <laughs> it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of as I understand it your answer to Age of Ultron exactly yeah. is, there is there a post my apology on behalf of just me no, it's a, it's a, it's like a lot of other things we've done. It's quirky. It's a comedy. It's not it's not a you know a, you know laugh out loud all the way through comedy, but there are good funny moments in it. It's a good Big it up to everyone. It's a, it's, but it's a, it's a drama as well. There's a bit of a drama in there. You know. It's, I it's, hear someone somewhere, and I don't know if this has been in any of your promotional stuff, but saying um, or describing it as a very British comedy. And I don't know if that's fair, but do you think this is a comedy or a film, you know, in its entirety that is rooted in Britishness, or do you think it's more universal than that? Um, I would say in the way we gone about delivering it yes there is a certain Brit- Britishness to it I mean we, we've had some amazing old British sitcoms before like Forty Towers Are You Being Served that kind of thing which I'm not saying our film you know is in, in, in the pedigree of that I wouldn't presume to do so but with the but you kind of hope so but with, well, but with the cast <laughs> we have they mm. lend themselves to, you know, to those to those comedies sure. and um, you know a tea shop is a very British setting you know the, the, the comedy we've gone for with the actors we have is the kind of comedy we're used to seeing it them is. deliver uh, um, with Amanda with the carry on films with John and Only Falls and Horses obviously um, but obviously being 
a film, a short film, it was important that we make it something that couldn't just be a TV comedy sketch. You know, it needs to be a piece of film or cinema is, in its yeah. own right, on its own two feet. So with the traditional British comedy routes we've gone for, we had to give it more of a cinematic twist, which is what our DOP Lorenzo has helped give it and, and given, done an amazing job as well, that it's kind of a, it's a few things at once. And, and far from being too sort of close of a focus on Britishness, I think, or maybe you disagree, I don't know, but do you think that could almost be a, a benefit where you've encapsulated something that is um, quite British, but in fact that's something that audiences around the world really value and hold in high regard? Because I know for a fact, you know, and, and not blowing our own trumpets here because we're in you know, our early days, but we've got listeners as far as the statistics on the site go who come from Japan or Taiwan or Korea. And those are countries where uh, British tea drinking culture is held in, in great regard. And do you think almost it could be a, a benefit to your film I going do. worldwide? De- definitely, yeah, de- no, definitely. We kind of had that in our, well, I did, I don't know if you did, but I had that no, in my no, I'm just John Chalice is a, only Fools and Horses is is recognised worldwide. So having, I mean, the, the casting again, it, it's very, very British casting. Was this intentional? Yes, yes. We're, uh, casting wise, we always went for a very, we we're always going to go for a very br- traditional sort of old British sort of actor, well recognised it as being a British actor. You know, mm. and not just so much the British, but the tone they themselves bring mm. to it yeah. because of what people expect from them. Yes. John's very widely known as Boise from Running Fools and Horses, but we, we, we don't have him playing Boise. He's playing someone completely different, but there will still be that preconception when people see him, we're expecting this from him, and then hopefully that's not what they'll get. So mm. it'll be a nice surprise. And uh, in terms of release schedule, when, when can we hope to see it? Is it finished? Um, it is. When is it out? Uh, well, we're having our premiere, private premiere, by the way, this week, this week at BAFTA. You can't you, come. You can't come to. Sorry, I don't like we've been I think I already said I, I didn't want to go. Uh, well, I meant I, well, no, when I said I couldn't make it, what I meant was I didn't want to come. So uh. but we haven't we haven't put into place any plans for any kind of full release yet. But um, is it going I'll, online first? It, or do no, it we'll won't. We'll have no. our screening and then we'll submit it to various festivals I'll, and okay. see where it goes. From so there. look out for it. On the Some of our backers will see it. The ones who've. Um, Contributed, we'll yeah. get to see it. Will um, we see it for review? Purposes? You will, perhaps. Yeah. Um, Pecan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I, you know, after after the Soul Matrix fiasco, I think that's probably the the best bet um, to give me the the review copy. But um, in terms of the the preview stuff, the trailer, uh, test footage, that kind of thing, is there going to be anything available online for people who are keen to just have a look at the aesthetic of what you've produced before an actual release? Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to around. the trailer online sometime in within the next week or so. Oh, that's great. So. Which we've we've seen. It's very intriguing. So it's very, it looks like it looks like a very a very entertaining. Entertaining film with a bit of a twist in the tail, which I'm quite looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you guys about the film. And, and thanks so much for giving us a bit of time and inviting us down to your to your town, really. Um, town or city? Babe, town. Don't be silly. <laughs> okay. Town. 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 Yes. <laughs> town yes. yes. No, thanks for having us. But yeah, absolute pleasure. And thank you so much. Yeah, Cheers, thank you guys. So we led in today with a few uh, blockbuster reviews, and that brings us nicely to our six of the best, oh, or back, six man. of the most anticipated, uh, <laughs> six of the most anticipated, six of the best features. No. Yeah. Well, the, the problem we run into is I noticed when I was thinking about these lists, six of the best, which you know I'm not ashamed to say I came up with, and I like it quite a lot, but. It doesn't really work when you say six of the best, most anticipated films oh, yes. of 2015. I mean, it doesn't roll off the tongue exactly, does it? But it doesn't matter. Get over it. Because what we're going to do is count down six films that we're looking forward to that are coming out this summer. And they are going to be very specifically big, blockbuster, booming films of the ilk of Avengers and Fast and Furious 7, which we yeah. covered today. So, without further ado, Paul... Hit us up with number six in this countdown. What in no, in, well, the, the, the order is kind of irrelevant. In no particular order, is. although if there is an order, because I'm kind of anticipating this being a big bag of shit um, based on Don't the latest words. trailer. Um, no, um, Terminator Genesis, directed by Alan Taylor. Um, I, I was a bit sceptical about bringing Terminator back anyway. I Who kind the hell of, is Alan Taylor, by the way? He directed, he's directed some Game of Thrones episodes and he directed Thor The Dark World. Oh, is that right? Um... I was kind of sceptical about them bringing up Terminator anyway, but thought they're going to do it. So maybe it'd be okay. Schwarzenegger's back in it. You'd see in the trailer, Schwarzenegger's going to fight Schwarzenegger. That will undoubtedly be quite cool. And then there was kind of like a liquid metal Terminator and that looked all right. And then the, the, the latest trailer dropped where you've got John Connor seems to come back from the future and has been turned into some kind of half machine, half robot 
thing that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I mean, they were the fact that they were messing around with the timeline as much as they were made it confusing anyway. But for me, watching the latest trailer, I kind of am going to see it now because I just think it's going to be an absolute car crash. There's a certain, amount, a shame. Of, a certain amount of irony, isn't there, as well, with like titling something Terminator Genesis with the clever SYS the NDC. It's like a system, it's technological, you yes. know, tacked onto that. But, I mean, because we know, I mean, we've seen behind the curtain at this point a long, long time ago that franchises get like prequels or origin stories because of money. Yeah, there's interest. Yeah, fans are into it. And if so, that's great. But you, you can't try and sell me the fact that the mythology needs some sort of gen- genesis story that didn't exist to begin with. No, uh, and it just... It, I mean, I'm, uh, the trouble is, is, is you've got all... The movement is at the moment... I've got my words back there now. I finally remembered how to speak again briefly. Um, <laughs> the movement seems to be at the moment is just we need bigger and more advanced villains in everything. And we just don't just use the villains that already exist in the franchise and use them well. Yeah, and and isn't there a problem like you said something that we called a Schwarzenegger coming back? But at this point, like I I saw recently on TV for the second time <laughs> to my detriment because I seen it in the cinema, The Last Stand. You yeah. know that one, which was a Korean film director I like quite a bit. But with Arnold Schwarzenegger just looking every year his mm. very very you know advanced age and his involvement in the Expendables franchise as well, it just. I think let the guy have a sit down and like read the newspaper and like watch you know cricket or no he wouldn't watch cricket would he would whatever it is that the American equivalent mm. might be at this point for an elderly man um, and just just stop just stop I don't think it's necessary yeah, but but then yeah, yeah ahead, but then to try and make Terminator without Schwarzenegger when he is still around you're right I don't I mean, know I mean I I I almost. I kind of want to be proved wrong by Terminator Genesis, but in some ways I kind of don't want to be proved wrong. But anyway, enough of that's why That's why it's anticipated, though. I mean, it's included on this list because both of us are... We're anticipating it. Are we anticipating it because we think it's going to be the greatest film of the year, no. nay, the decade? No, of course not. But we're interested to see whether it is maybe the, the car crash that but I think in, it might enough be. Enough moaning. What's your, what's your pick? Right. Well, I'm going to get us out of the doldrums and I'm going to go with my first choice as something completely different, actually, which is Inside Out, um, released mid-June, according to the UK. Oh, any Pixar offering. This is, yeah, I actually talked about this when we did the countdown of the mm. most anticipated films of the year. Not because I'm a giant Pixar fanboy or anything like that, but just because I think that... Um, Pixar has been in a, in a strange sort of um, limbo a little bit and we're looking for something that sort of rejuvenates the reputation of Pixar to the heights of something like Up which now is what six six years old I think it's 2009 that that thing came out and we've had Pixar things since but I think that the quality control that we know and sort of expect from Pixar has maybe wavered a little bit so that brings us to Inside Out. Inside Out is directed by Pete Docter, who directed Up, which I've mentioned, and Monsters, Inc. So here is my you know, positivity is coming from maybe that fact. And then we've got this great cast who are going to be voicing the inner emotions of a young girl. Now, maybe I thought, Paul, if I uh, give you a character, who's, or an actor, I should say, who's going to be in this film, guess the emotion that they're going to play. We'll play a little game. Okay. If you get it wrong, it doesn't matter. Okay, so I, I should say, first of all, I mean, here's a win. Carl McLaughlin plays Dad. So Carl McLaughlin yeah. plays anything, and I'm in. Uh, then we've got Diane Lane, who plays Mum. But if I said to you, Mindy Calling, of the Mindy Project, and, of course, uh, the American Office, what emotion would you go for? Confusion. Oh, yeah, not too far off. It'd be a bit more negative. A bit more negative than confusion. Yeah. Despair. Oh, it's a dis word. Disgust. Okay. <laughs> uh, another one. Uh, Phyllis Smith, who is Phyllis in the American office. You've got to get this one. Um, happiness. Oh, come on. You are I've not seen the American She's office, a... aren't you, when we play this game? Ah, uh, that's funny. The game of <laughs> I saw this. I'm seeing that. finding this quite difficult. <laughs> Uh, anyway, why are you excited about it? Nice try, but I apologise, I've ruined the game. Yeah, so Phyllis <laughs> Smith, sadness, uh, Office fans, you'll recognise why. Uh, Lewis Black, son-up comedian, playing Anger, great um, great choice, a very, very angry man. Bill Hader plays Fear, so you, you get the point. Yeah, Bill Hader. Really, really, really strong cast. Yeah. I've not even mentioned Amy Poller, who is, of course, joy in yeah. this thing. I mean, I don't know a lot about the plotting of this thing. It's those people doing those things. I'm really excited about it. I think it looks good fun. Yeah. Paul, take us on to number four. Mad fucking Max. I mean, Mad Max, sorry. I, I, I'm so excited about Mad Max that I could probably only ever be let down by how excited I am based on the calibre of the trailers. Are you going to the Mad Max 1 and 2 double bill that they're putting on I beforehand? Am, yes. Yeah, I, I yes. thought you would be. Yeah, and uh, yes, Mad Max. It's, it's George Miller returning to Mad Max, discounting the horrible, horrible Thunderdome film that he made. Um, 
the first two Mad Max films are two of my favourite action films of all time, and I don't think I'll be alone in that. Um, it just looking at the the strength of the trailer, the big push to do as much as they can with physical effects and stunt work, it just looks to be. It looks like it could be. Charlie's Theron. Charlie's Theron's in it. Tom Hardy's always cool. Yeah. Um, it just looks to be what Hollywood does best, which is big bombast and action, and done really, really well with a lot of physical effects. And if it delivers, I think it could it could be the blockbuster of the summer. Oh well, there's a certain diminutive Scientologist who might beg to differ on that, and that would be one T. Cruz, who is this summer who, T. Uh, Cruz, T. Cruz, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah I get that. that. That's the guy. Yeah. Same guy. <laughs> yeah, he is feet and free and ready to uh, fire out yet another Mission Impossible film. Unbelievably, because he's what fifty some now, uh, still doing his own stunts by and large. I think um, Edge, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Edge of Tomorrow. No. He was in Edge of Tomorrow, yes. That's what I'm thinking about, isn't it? With the repeating and the repeating. Yeah, that repeating. was Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, okay. The, yeah. the title never sticks in my mind of that film for some reason. Because no, it was. Cause they keep changing. They had that really cool title and they got rid of it, right? Like, all you need is kill, yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. Now on the Blu ray, live, die, repeat. But anyway, back to. Yeah, so to linking a, a couple of things together here. So the director of this thing is Christopher McQuarrie, um, who directed Jack Reacher, which wouldn't necessarily get you buzzed about this film. Jack Reacher was uh, okay. Is this the Christopher McQuarrie that wrote Usual Suspects? It is. That's what I was going to come to Sorry, next. Sorry, yeah. yeah, you, you've stolen my thunder. Yeah, <laughs> the writer of The Usual Suspects, the writer also of the aforementioned Edge of Tomorrow, which is a fantastic screenplay. So this is, um, well, it gets me at least in the cinema for the next Mission Impossible film. The last one, I thought, in personal opinion, was really, really good. As that far really as took me by surprise. Temple, really enjoyed it summer, well. yeah. huge budget films go. I thought it was done very, very well. We've got Jeremy Renner coming back, Simon Pegg coming back, Ving Rhames. I mean, Ving Rhames, I, I have so much affection for. Not that he's going to pull me to a blockbuster on his own, but he's he's a, a great, great guy to have on the, on the team. It comes out late July. You, what can I say? It's a Mission Impossible film. I've, I've read that it's going to be their most impossible mission yet. So, you know, get involved. Yeah, Mission Impossible should be should Almost be as impossible as you could say as bringing dinosaurs back to life. Okay. Which brings us <laughs> <laughs> to Jurassic World, which is my last one on this list for the most anticipated summer blockbuster. Um, I adore Jurassic Park. I know a lot of people adore Jurassic Park. I think I adore Jurassic Park more than possibly anyone else out there. Um, not so much a fan of the sequels. There's an interesting, and again, if they're going to have to bring something back, at least they're bringing it back. They've chosen an interesting director, I think, this time around, a guy called Colin Trevorrow, who previously worked on uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, which is quite a charming kind of indie Sundance like comedy. Minuscule budget compared minuscule to budget, yeah. It's so an interesting choice. So it's an interesting choice. And this could go one of two ways. Either he will be ploughed over by the producers of the film. Which, looking at the latest trailer again, we're not ploughed by the producers. Not ploughed by the producers. <laughs> ploughed over by the producers. Yes. Uh, looking at the latest trailer again, I have my concerns. It looks like the, it looks like it's lost the horror film roots. It looks like it's all going to be guns and dinosaurs. And I don't think if it is finished CGI work in the trailer, then I don't think it's really that as good as some of the physical effects in the first Jurassic Park film. Having said that, though, it is Jurassic Park. Chris Pratt's in it, who's always who's proving to be that he could prove to be always value for money. We'll see. Uh, it is Jurassic Park, or Jurassic World in this case. There are lots of dinosaurs in it, and that score. So they bring back that score. So I am nervously excited about Jurassic World. It brings me to thinking, and I won't take too much time with this, but yeah, I didn't realise that it was a future population of. Uh, aliens who came back to the earth and killed the dinosaurs in the extinction event that was explained to me so succinctly yesterday in Jupiter ascending that doesn't really make any sense whatsoever. But yeah, hopefully no, this true, yeah. this thing will do. Well, I, I don't more think. So. I think it would be difficult for Jurassic World to be worse than Jupiter ascending. So <laughs> they'd have a, a fight on their hands. <laughs> yeah. there. yeah. Talking of having a fight on their hands, man. Just going to keep these segues going. The uh, the team that will this summer is the Fantastic Four, not just because of the comic book world in which they will be battling, but the fact that I think Fantastic Four as a, a group have come under quite a lot of criticism, not least because the two films that came out were kind of middling at best. Uh, the Silver Surfer film, the second one, was pretty pretty abysmal. Uh, having said that, and having, some would say they were doomed. And having said, you know, many things to the extent that I'm not a giant comic book guy, for some reason, uh, call me an idiot, I've got a certain amount of affection for the Fantastic Four, and now this has happened. The Fantastic Four uh, franchise has been taken on by director Josh Trank, 
who directed Chronicle, which I liked a great deal. I enjoyed deal. Chronicle a lot, yes. In addition... Frank is rumoured to have been a bastard on set, but... Right, that that as may be. Hopefully the results are going are gonna to be positive. I mean, the cast is pretty unbelievable for rebooting this thing. We've got Miles Teller from Whiplash that we raved about at the end yeah. of, of last year. Was that last year? Beginning of this, this year. year I think. Beginning, Beginning of this year, year yeah. Yeah, we've got Kate Mara. We've got Michael B. Jordan, whose um, performance in stuff like Fruitvale Station yeah, which we've talked about has made before, everyone yeah. aware of just what a talent he is. Uh, he was obviously in Chronicle as well. Um, Jamie Bell, who's an actor that, you know, post Billy Elliot... I think quite just, underrated. ...just gone yeah. from strength to strength. I think he's a fantastic actor. Um, Toby Kebbell as well. So uh, just star studded Well, not even star studded just, like, quality actor-filled mm. cast. Um, a director who seems promising. And uh, the writer of X-Men Days of Future Past, as well as A Few Turkeys, that I'm just going to brush yeah. over for a second, the tourist. Focus um, on Days of Future Past. Yeah, so um, this thing seems to me like it could rejuvenate this franchise and be a really strong contender in the increasingly competitive comic mm. book adaptation cinema blockbuster world. There's not a lot of space in that market, so it's, they're going to have to go big. It has proved quite controversial with a number of hardcore Fantastic Four fans because it has changed quite a lot. So it's got an uphill battle ahead of it, I think. But um, I would agree with you in terms of the casting is very intriguing. And with that calibre of cast, you'd hope they'd come up with something good. Yeah, and you'd think those people wouldn't put their name to something that's going to end up being a flop. No. Um, but, I mean, we'll wait and see, and that's the whole point of anticipating these films. We don't know. We might come to the end of summer and realise these were all abysmal and we got it completely wrong, or they might turn out to be six of our favourite films of the entire year, mm. not just blockbusters, who knows? But uh, And there's plenty else, obviously, that we're looking forward to this summer that is very much not blockbuster-centric, but we thought we'd get these out there for right now. It's May, it's about that time, right? Summer yeah. is, is yeah. just about upon us. So, as for today's show, Paul, let's wrap it up, I guess. Yeah, that's about it for today. So, um, if thanks for listening. If you like what we've heard, find us on Facebook, which is obviously Facebook, Stranger Than Cinema, um, at Stranger Cinema on Twitter. Uh, you can check out the website over at www.strangersinacinema.com. Yeah, all of these shows are, are archived on uh, SoundCloud, so go search Strangers in Cinema on SoundCloud. But yeah, I mean, these routes are all well established by this iTunes point. And yeah, well, so. that's not to forget iTunes, Double Twist, and all the podcast services that you might usually go to are going to have our podcast on there. Please support us. And what's more, if you are already supporting us by listening and downloading these episodes, thank you so much. If you continue to do so, we'd massively appreciate it. And if anyone would take just a couple of seconds to write a review, or a comment or rate our show that really helps yeah, us to, to, to be, keep going and be honest be constructive yeah, and be, be honest be as critical as you like because um, all the criticism will take on board yeah. Yeah. So, um, but as for today um, it's goodbye from me Pete and it's goodbye from me Paul